the party begin here in West Lafayette. One of the top five places to watch a college basketball game. I would argue you can't find a better one. Three on the way. Bullseye! I feel the electricity in the house. The passion. It's a wall of sound. So here it back. It is four with three. They go to wall of action. Planted for three. This is the Boiler Ball Podcast. Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Rob Blackman. Episode 89 here on the podcast, and today we are fortunate to welcome in Dana O'Neill of The Athletic and many other media outlets over her career. Dana, thanks for taking time to join us here. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. So uh, for our listeners, we're kind of in the third installment of this uh, mini-series on um, changes in college athletics and uh, thought it would be interesting to get a perspective from someone who knows uh, the college basketball game is about as well as anybody you're going to find. And uh, I've, Dana, I, I have to be uh, completely honest. I've wanted to get you on the podcast for a long time, been a big fan, and I feel like I knew about your career before you kind of hit the mainstream. My father-in-law is uh, Lancaster County, um, lives, oh. lives in Lancaster County, and uh, watched you all the time on Daily New- Daily News Live. Is that what? Is am I getting that right? That's exactly what it was. God bless him. Okay. Yes, it was. Eddie Eddie said he loved you on that show. He said you and uh, Girardi were great uh, together on that show. Um, so when when you kind of broke through to ESPN. I felt like I had a little insider trading. I already kind of knew a little bit about you. So, um, and then obviously you've gotten to know you a little bit covering us over the, over the last few years. So, uh, wanted to, before we get into all these topics with, uh, yeah. with the current topics, uh, tell us how you got started in, uh, in the business. Yeah. So, well, thank your father for watching that. I used to have a lot of fun with Daily News Live. That's for sure. <laughs> but I'm not sure if it was great television. So he's a, he's a good man. Thank you. Um, so my, my story, my, my entry story, if you will, into sports journalism is, um, I call it dumb luck or maybe, you know, I was just blind. I don't know, but it's, I'll give you the, the cliff notes. I was an athlete growing up. My dad was a huge sports fan. My mother was a high school English teacher. So if you think about all of that, I should have just kind of figured this out on my own. <laughs> um, I did not. I went to Penn state, uh, intent on majoring in business because I had a rich uncle and I thought I could be rich too. And uh, I took one economics course and discovered that that was absolutely not my future. <laughs> um, but by dumb luck, there was a woman on my floor who's the RA on our floor my freshman year, you know, freshman dorm, everyone's trying to find their way, yep. who was on the college newspaper. And she told um, us that they were taking, um, they were offering tests for people to join the Daily Collegian and would we be interested? And I just kind of was looking to get involved in something, and I thought, well, geez, why not? That might be kind of fun. Um, I lo- always did well in English classes, so okay. And at the end of the test, you know, they ask you what section you might want to work for. And I remember honestly thinking, like, well, maybe if I write sports, I can meet Joe Paterno. That was the extent of my <laughs> yeah. long-term planning. Yeah. And boom, one semester, and I loved it. And here I am many, many, many years later, owing quite a lot to a woman named Jennifer Edwards. So <laughs> I need to find her someday. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Now, do you um, – I mean, that your business has changed as much yeah. as any business. Um, you know, it obviously with the shift from um, – print and being a writer to then it's really morphed in you need to be you need to be well spoken you need to be able to be on video podcast camera whatever yeah. might you know might throw at you do you remember the time like when maybe it was when you started doing daily news live that you had to kind of start making that shift yeah that was that was probably it you know early in my career i was working at small newspapers and you know, just kind of like hiding behind my byline, if you will, in the newspaper. Right. Um, and then, of course, things shifted to the Internet, but the Internet was still your byline. Once I got to Philadelphia at the Daily News, you know, really, it really, I guess, was the Daily News Live, if you think about it, because, you know, I used to call that the poor man sports reporters. There's, you know, a bunch of you <laughs> yeah, know, sports yeah. reporters sitting around just oh. talking about Philly sports, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, I didn't have a whole lot of or any experience. You know, I did a couple of radio hits in, here and there, but – not that they trained us, trust me. If you watched it, they didn't train us. It was very, it was very real. Um, but yeah, that was sort of my first taste of that. And I remember like not at all understanding the fact that now people would know who I was. 
And I would go out to restaurants. We're like, oh, you look so familiar. I'm like, oh, oh, did you go to Penn State? Oh, are you from here? No, no. It would take me 10 minutes like, for them to be like, no, I saw you on Daily News Live. I'm like, oh, oh, really? Okay. People watch that? Wow. Creepy. Right. <laughs> this is weird. I, and I do remember that my favorite story from all of that was walking into an Eagles game one day, an Eagles game, mind you, and some tailgating guy walks up to me and stopped me. He's like, hey. You're really good on Daily News Live. You could use a little more eyeliner. I'm oh, like, God. Me? Sure. Oh, <laughs> like, uh, what here what we just go. happened? I just was like, my husband doesn't even know what eyeliner is, but okay. Thanks for the tip, dude. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, that was sort of the evolution. And then once I got to ESPN, of course, you have to do everything. Yeah, yeah. That... Dana, Dana, I'd, uh, Dana, I'd love to ask mo- most of the folks that I know that, that came up through the more traditional route uh, of print journalism that you're speaking about and, and have now certainly branched off into uh, television or radio or podcasts or those kind of things. Uh, their real passion still to this day lies in, in print journalism and, yep. and writing. Is that is that safe to say that that is still where your passion lies? One million percent. I mean, number one, it's my comfort zone. It's the skill that I know I am good at like I know I can write I can get by on radio TV podcasts if I need to but my comfort level my skill set is in that but it also is it, it sounds really weird but it relaxes me I love to write like I love to dig into a story and talk to people and talk to kids and everybody you can talk to and really get into who a person is and you can do that so much better in print and when I sit down to write a story I still get giddy about it so yeah I'm still a dorky print journalist at heart I don't I don't want to we don't need names here but are there are there people well are there writers who are like really gifted writers that just don't have it when it comes to putting getting in front of a microphone camera etc that have fallen by the wayside like are we losing good writers because they can't or maybe just don't want to adapt. I, I don't, well, yeah, I think it's probably more the second than the other because look I think you can certainly teach an old dog new tricks I mean some of us you know, are less good at it than others. And, you know, some of, you know, some are more natural at it. I certainly think, you know, the knowledge base is the most important thing, no matter where you're going. So certainly, um, I still think anybody can, I'm not saying it's easy, but you could certainly be passable at it. Um, I don't know if we've lost people, but yeah, I'm sure we probably have, if I think about it. Um, and maybe being, I don't know, maybe devalued is a better way to phrase it. I guess people are still doing both, but, um, you know, people don't, people, we kind of all dash to the shiny object these days and, and it's super easy to go get your information on a 140 character tweet or right. uh, on TV in a soundbite, right? It's a lot, takes a little bit more investment to actually read a story. So I do wonder if people who are really good at sharing information via print are kind of being ignored. That's, I think that's possible. What was that show? The, miss... the... Go ahead, Rob. Oh, I was just going to say, Dana, do you miss the, uh, uh, the old days of print journalism where you were up against a deadline with, say, a 9 p.m. tip-off. No. I will say this. I do remember the first national championship I covered. So I, when I went from the, the Daily News to um, to ESPN, I was sitting next to Dick Girardi from the Daily News, who was my was and remains my mentor, and it was the Kansas-Memphis game. So, you know, Mario Chalmers shock goes in. I don't even have a laptop at that point because there was no Twitter or anything. I'm just sitting there watching the game with no deadline. I look at Girardi. I'm like, oh, my God, you are so up against it. He's like, <laughs> well aware. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, I don't I don't miss that at all. I mean, I will say it's a learned art and a learned skill. And I think it's still important because a lot of young writers coming out of college are not going to go to the Internet necessarily. They're going to go to a newspaper and you still need to know how to do it. And there's nothing that prepares you more for, I think, the angst of journalism than not just writing on deadline, but waking up the next morning and like hoping that the Philadelphia Inquirer didn't scoop you. Like I used to worry, like you know, mm-hmm. Joe Giuliano would beat me on a Villanova story. It kept you honest. So wow. I think there's something for that. But I don't, I don't miss watching Derek Suber go from one end of the court to the other at Tiny Rider College with four seconds left to put Ryder <laughs> in the NEC to win the NEC championship and, for, and put Ryder in the NCAA tournament. And I had literally 15 minutes to write it. No, I don't miss that <laughs> at wow. all. Yeah. Those, oh. what a change. What was the old Chicago show with the guy sitting around the table, smoking cigars? Like it was Bill oh. Jouse and Rick Tellender. Did you get, was that a Midwest thing? I think that I feel like that I, I never, I know what you mean, but I, yeah, that was more of a Midwest. Yeah. My East coast bias probably didn't get to watch that one. <laughs> as much. Well, I mean, <laughs> these guys are out, you know, these guys are there with, <laughs> 
smoking cigars and Fantastic. the ear hair and all that stuff it's like what, what <laughs> well, are there's we... still plenty of that in my business don't yeah. worry <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes yes there is so i want to ask you too um being a woman in this business um mm-hmm. what's 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 something that i mean it's got to there has to be especially hopefully it's getting better i hope um, but I don't know the way our society is right now. Um, but is, was there a time where you were like, holy cow, what am I, why do I do this? Well, here's the thing. Like it kind of cuts both ways. I have to always say that I have been very, very fortunate that the people I have worked for and worked alongside have been my strongest supporters and, and my champions. Like I have, you know, I think pretty much in every sports department that I came up for, save, you know, once I got to ESPN, it was a little bit less. I was the only woman. And mm. every person I worked with and for never, ever treated me as anything less. Honestly, I had just, you know, I had some people like rival play papers that would say some, you know, things that kind of just, you know, snide more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, how did you get that job? Kind of mm. things like that. Um, but the people who worked with me and remain my champions today, and even today, like, um, you know, all the guys in college basketball who don't work for the athletic but are my friends in the business, you know, have my back. I know that. And I do think that kind of living in the college space is probably a little bit safer because, you know, I do remember days, I remember young days covering Villanova long before Jay Wright was there, even probably, I think it was back in the Rolly years, yeah. you know, the locker rooms open and they kind of looked at me like, ah, what do I do with you? I'm like, well, the locker room's open. So it's either open or it's yeah, closed. Right. Yeah. But it wasn't nastiness. It was sort of like a, Ooh, I wasn't expecting you. Um, so call, you know, I think that's, that's part of it, but I will say, um, Twitter is the single worst cesspool in the history of mankind. Oh, video. Amen. Amen. Uh, I have, and this is a true, honest, this is not me exaggerating. I have blocked or muted more people than I follow. Uh, it's just horrific. Um, and it's, it, I, I can't even. Like, <laughs> well, gross. I'm sure Elon Musk will clean all that up. So. Oh, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I, I, feel much, I'm much, I feel much safer today. No doubt. Uh, but I just, you know, I always tell women in this business, it's just like, you know, it's the old uh, Fred Astaire ginger line line. Like everything he did, she did backwards in heels. You have to do everything they do backwards in heels, and you have to be better at it and not make silly mistakes that will call into question your authority. I mean, it, it's just there's just your wiggle room for error is much much thinner. Um, it's it's just unfortunate. It's the truth. That's just where we live. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that you've had for the most part positive experiences because i i blame uh i blame most of our societal ills on old old men so uh. (laughs) i think too you know what i think though helps me though i try very very hard to discern when someone is being malicious and just clueless because there is a difference there is generational difference of people who are not intending to be harmful they're just they just don't know any better and is that forgivable or is that you know is that correct foolish? yes can you get your can i sit here i can get angry every day if i want to it's not worth my energy i try to discern when people are trying to be cruel and really just you know really demeaning to me and when they just simply don't know better yep and, and try to work in that and and keep my my head level on that one i totally understand what, what you're at that point because i always i every time we find out something about maybe uh what others would dub a hero or a you know a icon sure. of our society, I I tell my wife all the time like there are no saints like there are, there are, nobody lives on this planet that doesn't have some little baggage to them that others would yep. view and you know, but when you find the older people that do get it, it's like okay they're they're as close to sainthood as you can get because they've <laughs> yeah. had to overcome all that you know. Exactly. And I look, I can remember walking into press boxes and, you know, some older man walking in the press. Honey, do you know where to go? Sweetie, are you okay? <laughs> you know, okay. It, could oh. I get really to Bill Barber, who used to coach um, the Philadelphia Flyers AHL team, the Phantom, every single time, every single time he saw me. Dana, honey, how are you, sweetie? Could I get mad at Bill Barber for saying that? Sure. Is it worth my energy? No. That's just Bill Barber being Bill Barber. He wasn't trying to put me down. That's right. just how he talked. Right. You know? Yeah. Not yep. worth it. Okay, so uh, current state of college athletics, <laughs> you are uh, you write for the athletic now, which is um, in itself a kind of an evolution of in yeah. in your business, and it's a, a subscriber based 
um, outlet that uh, is fantastic, by the way. I think when that when that came to be, um, that was a breath of fresh air because it Thank was you. kind of back to back to the <laughs> the good stuff, right? It was it was trimming mm-hmm. the fat, and it was like just the uh, for, for good us, for, stories. People will read them. Yeah, and for yeah. us, that, it kind of restored my faith in the fact that people do read. <laughs> I totally agree. As a as a consumer of the of this, it's it's been phenomenal. Um, I hope that it continues. I know there's a change in ownership and things like that, but I hope it continues to be exactly what it's been for the last few years. Um, but how has that experience gone for you? I mean, I would think it's probably a little bit freeing to be able to just kind of get back to back to work, so to speak. It's kind of, yeah, it's been kind of restorative, I would say for a lot of reasons. Um, like I said, number one, I, I always believe that there were people that wanted to read. Um, but you know, when you get to places and I'm not shooting ESPN down, I'm just saying this was sort of their mindset because look, they're a TV based outlet. They were convinced that people just wanted easy digestible content lists and and things you know that didn't require a whole lot of heavy thought and while i'm capable of doing that it was kind of like wow this isn't really what i signed up for yeah um the athletic has proven that you know if you give people really good stuff they will read it um you know we're trying to do both now obviously we're evolving as well but it's been a great place to work i work with fantastic my college basketball staff is like Honestly, the Daily News will always remain just because they were just such great guys or these grizzled old dudes that I work with. My favorite place to work, The Athletic, is right up there. Um, I work with really wonderful people who are just smart and intelligent and collegial and collaborative. It's it's a great place to work. And, uh, yeah, I think it's been, you know, it was a risk for the company um, to go subscription-based. But, like, I was always like, you know, look. I still pay for the newspaper in my driveway. It's really no different. Yeah. So hopefully yeah. people will wrap their head around that and they seem to have welcomed it. So yeah, I feel like it's been a great place to work. And you know, the cool part was for me, you know, you're nervous when you started a new place, are you going to get the same entry points that you would get with coaches and stuff? Because you know, you're not with ESPN anymore, but fortunately I was at a point in my career that I knew everybody and they were like, Oh, okay, you're cool. You can, you know, you can still come to Purdue practice. They don't care. You know yeah, what I mean? It's yeah. not like we don't know who you are. So that was helpful. I think that was one of the probably the best moves was getting the names. I mean, some yeah. when you know that was the key to it because in this day and age, how do you find out about a new outlet? It, well, we you follow you know the likes of you on Twitter, and then you realize, oh, okay, well, I have to continue to read what she is writing, and so that yeah. was an easy transition to all of our listeners. If you are not and if you do not read the Athletic. Um, you need to. You need to at least start following the stuff on Twitter, and then when you start seeing headlines, and you then you'll get to a point where you're like, "Look, I got to read this. I gotta, I gotta go ahead and make my subscription so I can start reading this stuff." So you guys do a, an excellent job of that. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so big topic. Uh, boy, yeah. where do we where do we start? Um, we'll <laughs> we'll start with nil stuff. Um, okay. I'm interested to get your take because we've we've. I mean, obviously, I'm on the inside. Rob is is somewhat on the inside, being our our play by play guy. Uh, mm-hmm. We've talked to our administrators from someone who's kind of got no stakes in the game in terms of mm-hmm. you know, and on this issue, what what's your thoughts on on NIL? So I I think like anything else, I think it's a great idea that needs to happen in practice. I think it's like a lot of of NCAA decisions that (laughs) they shove them into existence without thinking about and then go backwards and trying to figure out the ramifications. So I think that's kind of where we are right now. I have no problem with it um, at all. I think, you know, the day has come that this just it needs to happen. I do, however, think um, that there needs to be some sort of mechanism to control it. And that's not to do anything other than to protect kids from from vultures honestly that's right right that's my concern i i'm you know i'm concerned about kids signing contracts who don't understand what they're giving away who you know however long the contract might be the percentage that they're giving away of their deals i'm concerned about kids getting in over their head and overwhelmed with so much stuff to do that they forget the fact that they also have to be good at their sport otherwise these deals are going to evaporate i'm concerned about kids not understanding how to pay taxes and how to invest all of this stuff um and i i have a hard time i understand i guess you know, the cynicism of why the NCAA thinks coaches and such should be out of these deals. I get that. 
but my thought is like who why would you want to keep the people that are actually the closest to these guys who need them to play well and will protect them in that regard out of these deals why would you not let them help these guys navigate and women navigate these deals um i I think that's foolish i'm a big i'm pretty convinced honestly if you talk to about this in five years like everything else, it's going to go back to the meme. Like right now, it's crazy because it's brand new. So everybody's signing everybody to all of these deals. At some point, it becomes a business decision. Like what, you know, do you yep. really want to invest all this money in a kid and you don't get a return on it? Like what are you getting out of it? So my guess is in five years, the top 2 to 3% of all athletes in college will get these great deals and everybody else will get like a gift card to Applebee's. <laughs> I, I just think that's where we're going to head. Um, but I hope in, in the interim, before we get there, that people find a way to to do this in a place that protects the athletes and you know makes it reasonable. I mean, I just think there's so many things that they don't consider that could happen. You know, even like selfishly for myself, like I, I know now, like you know, I've heard of of athletes telling SID sports information guys, like I don't need to do that. I'm getting paid to talk over here. Like, yeah. why would I go talk to Dana yeah. if I can get paid to talk over here? Yep. Which is a scare. Which you know, you're getting a scholarship. That's why. Yeah. Um, and you so would, that's messy. Yeah, and you would hope that that people in our position would convey the importance of talking to individuals sure. such as at yourself there's a th- there's such a thing as you are marketing this is free marketing you know yeah. an interview with a young man a, a young college basketball player allows people to say wow what a what a really cool kid insightful kid and and that that you know it's free like they you're not you know 100%. It, it, so and i think i think that will happen at places like yours right or, yeah. or places that have established coaches with strong you know, who are strong and respected, um, who aren't, you know, making, who aren't, who understand the players that they're recruiting, right? That they're right. recruiting the kind of players that they want to relate to. My concern is there's going to be, you know, maybe younger coaches trying to make a name for themselves who don't have the authority to tell a kid what to do because they just haven't had that established yet. Um, yeah. yep. But again, I, I just think it's like anything else. It's a good idea in practice. It's just like, before you put it in practice, you probably should have sat down and thought about it. Yes. The NCAA got forced to this, and it's their own fault because this was coming. And if they had spent the last 10 years trying to figure out a way to do this in a way that was manageable as opposed to fighting it, we might not be here. But they spent all their time trying to fight the inevitable, and now they are trying to undo what's already happened and make it manageable. And it's yeah. a very complicated way to do business. And and a little background for our listeners and also um... – just to let you know, Dana, we you mentioned some of the pitfalls of these NIL deals, and it was interesting for us because it it, it kind of invigorated me. This summer, we had a uh, we had a financial planner come in and talk to our our team, mm-hmm. and we've done this every year. And in the past, I usually have him talk about okay, in the real world, when you go out and say I make a hundred thousand dollars here's really what a hundred thousand dollars looks like <laughs> right. after taxes. And, and he, he talks, he used to talk about the pitfalls of credit cards, all these mm-hmm. different things. Uh, this year I added, I said, okay, now talk about if you were given, if you make in a year, $50,000, what does that look like? How much do you have to hold back to pay taxes? All this stuff. So he goes through some things and I said, and also knowing with the knowledge you have now, if you were to go back and have a redo and start out at 18 years old and be giving a check, for fifty thousand dollars, what would mm-hmm. you do with it? And he said, "Look, guys, if you took at your age ten grand and put it in this fund and didn't touch it till you turned sixty-five, here's what it looks like." And he hit the mm-hmm. button on the spreadsheet, and our guys' jaws were on the floor. Of course, and it was exciting no because idea. yeah, they had never thought in a million years. But it was exciting for them to be able to say, like, this can be yes. life changing. Correct. And so that's yes. the good part of this stuff. And but but again, you're at the mercy of the programs to help educate these young men to do it the right yeah. way. So and, and the agents that they sign with and everything yeah, else. I yes. did a story I did a story at the beginning of the season with Drew Timmy who was working with Jermaine O'Neal. Mm-hmm. And Jermaine O'Neal, who has gone through things himself coming out of high school, right, gave Drew Timmy a great piece of advice. He said, Don't chase the don't chase the penny over the dollar. What you are making in college is important and it's helpful and you can help, you know, establish your your nest egg. But what you can do in the NBA is the life-changing, generational-changing money. Yep. Make sure you stay good enough to get the NBA money. Don't just worry about what's happening right in front of you, which is great advice because yep. 
And it's the same thing. Like, yes, take the money that you earn now because you're 18. You don't, you don't need it. Go put it in a nest egg, invest it. But don't forget too, that this is still a pittance compared to what you can make if you play well. Yeah. <laughs> That's the key, mm-hmm. right? Play well. Yeah, Jay Nivey had that approach last year. He he passed yes. on everything and just said, "No, I I know where I'm, my money's coming from." So and so and look at him and how smart is that, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, but again, like and, and look, I think kids will get smarter and more savvy about all of this as you know. Unfortunately, some kids become victim to it, but I just I, that's my whole thing is just make sure that nobody is taking advantage of it. I'm sure somebody is being right now, so that's the scary part. Yeah. Yeah, and I, w- I would say this, Dana, the one thing, that, and you brought this up initially when this conversation began, probably the one thing that disappointed me the most is that at least for the moment, uh, the NCAA has cut out the coaches and the administrators yeah. uh, who, as we all know, have more influence over the, the student-athletes than anyone. These are the same folks that sat in those kids' living rooms with their with their parents and told them that I'm going to take care of them. Well, exactly. this is unfortunately, this has been taken out of their hands, so this is one small area of... Uh, of their lives that they can't help and they can't take care of them, unfortunately. And, and it's, and the, and look, I mean, I know the NCAA is always afraid of the college coach boogeyman who's making secret deals, but that's <laughs> happening. It doesn't yeah, matter. Exactly. NIL collectives are pay for play. Exactly. Whether the coach is involved in, in telling them, you know, involved in, in, in creating them or not, that's exactly what these are. So why not allow the coach to at least be part of this conversation? I mean, because he knows not only does he know the kid and have his back, his, you know, as you said, his relationship, he knows the family situation. He knows who the people in the family are. These are the people that you trust. Like, why would you take the person that's the most trustworthy in the room out of the equation? The kids aren't going nothing against Purdue is a wonderful, fine institution. It is. Kids are going to play for Matt Painter. They're not going to go to Purdue. <laughs> right. So why remove him from the conversation where he can help them? Yeah, That's we, just foolish. We've always favored deregulation here because it's always helped us. There were, when back in the crazy days when you could only call kids during certain times, <laughs> yes. we were recruiting a, 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 a sophomore, and coach checked in with his high school coach and said, hey, just wanted to see kind of where we're at. You know, I've enjoyed my phone calls once a week with this kid over the last few months. And <laughs> right. he said, well – to be honest, Coach, he's not feeling you as much as he is school X and school Y. And Matt's like, well, why is that? He goes, well, they talk to him every day. And Matt, and Matt goes, well, I hate to sound like the uh, the uh, you know the stickler here and like the nerd in the room, but like that's illegal what they're doing technically. Right. And, oh, it is? We had no idea. So. <laughs> right, exactly. So when they got away, no. they did away with all those silly phone call rules, that was great for us because now it kind of equaled the playing field. <laughs> yeah, oh. right. Yeah, exactly. I just think, right, I mean – I, you know, because every look, there are coaches right now that don't care, give a hoot about being quote unquote left out of the room. They're in the room, right? They are. Right, so right. they're breaking that rule. Uh, but I just think the rule is silly. I, I just think instead of, I think rather than constantly looking, looking at coaches as adversaries, it's time the NCAA probably starts to consider them as allies. Right. Uh, transfer portal. We're, uh, <laughs> oh, gosh. We're another big, <laughs> the other big topic. Oh, um, I, I probably, I think that. This is my. This might be where coaches and schools probably differ from public opinion, mm-hmm. maybe more so than any other topic. Um, yep. But what? But Agreed. what's your what's your take on the portal? Uh, again, I, I, first of all, I, I think like anything else, it's going to go back to the mean eventually. First of all, because you can only do this allegedly once, so eventually you can't. <laughs> we're going right. to run out of opportunity for <laughs> right. everybody, so the number just has to funnel down. Um, so. Here's, I, I, I can see both sides. I certainly understand why it seems wrong to force a kid to sit out a year um, when other people can do whatever they want. I, I get it. Um, I totally understand that. I think the problem, of course, is in the execution. A um, couple of things. Number one, like <laughs> I'm a parent. So, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I think part of being a, uh, growing up is learning to suffer a little bit and dealing with things when they're hard and, you know, um, and making, and making it through to something on the other side or trying to get better or improve as opposed to just constantly, well, I'm not getting what I want here. I'm going to run away over there. Like I, yeah. I'm, I'm a, my, my son and my son goes to Michigan state. He's a freshman. So I'm on this goofy, you know, parent Facebook page, which is just <laughs> lunacy, but <laughs> it's comparable to this in, in my opinion, because there was a person complaining that, um, well, two, two caught my eye. One was complaining that, you know, Michigan state over, 
uh, admitted a freshman class, so they're turning doubles into triples. So this girl and this mother was lamenting that her daughter had and her future roommate had chose betting, and now they have this third girl. What are they supposed to do with her? I was like, oh, how a welcome her, like, first of all. <laughs> yeah. And then another yeah. one was complaining that my daughter was supposed to be in this dorm because most of her classrooms are there, and now she's in another dorm. How in the world is she supposed to get to class? I'm oh. like, well, walk. Yeah, right? Yeah. It's just, but, you know, the horror. And, it's, and it's the same thing to the transfer portal. But you're not playing 25 minutes a game. Well, how about you work harder as opposed to right. just transfer? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I completely understand why coaches are frustrated. And I get, too, why coaches are leery. I mean, I think the shame of it, again, unintended consequences, is high school kids aren't going to get opportunities to play because coaches are going to take smaller scholarships you know scholar smaller rosters because they're afraid that they're going to lose guys it's easier to get experienced guys out of the portal than coach them up so what's going to happen those high school freshmen who might have gone to purdue are now going to go to milwaukee and then their sophomore year they're going to get really good and then purdue's going to poach them yeah yeah. it's like this vicious mess um so I, i guess i understand why they put the rule in place but man i hope somewhere along the line we get a little sanity about it because right now it's a mess and i know that you said you know the public disagrees and i i agree with you the public disagrees with it in principle but i'm curious to see what happens in a few years when when fans can't remember who's on their roster because it changes every year part of being a fan is being invested in your players and if there aren't any players that you recognize from year to year how invested can you be yeah i'm, I'm not sure how that'll last yeah, I agree. I think I think the NCAA started this whole business. If they they messed up when they um, allowed so many waivers to yes, transfers, correct. And correct. like anything, uh, people found ways to manipulate the system. And once you know that cat was out of the bag, then it was over. And yep. Um, if they would if they would have stuck, I think the perfect balance would have been if your head coach leaves for any reason, fired, correct. takes another job, you are eligible immediately right away and if they would have Mm -hmm. stuck to that and then kept every other transfer is still the year sit out i think that that would have been a great medium and i think it would have probably yeah absolutely and that and that would have been sane and the problem is on both sides number one now they're still keeping the waivers so now even though you transfer once and use your opportunity now a kid can also do it you know manipulate the system and use the waiver and do it again and again and lost in this conversation too is that when you talk to players who did sit out or even redshirted, which I know is completely verboten, but people yeah. who've done that, they talk about what a good experience it was. I mean, I remember when Baylor won the national championship talking to you know Davion Mitchell, all those guys, they were like, I'm glad I sat out. I'm a better player for sitting out and waiting my turn. I'm tougher. I'm stronger. I learned more. And, you know, lo and behold, Baylor was a lot better because of it too. Yeah. So, you know, it, it. but yes, I agree. If you could have just maybe – manipulated it that way it would have been better but you know again i hope that eventually we just run out of room right. but I, I just don't know where it's going we've we're, we're notorious for red shirting people and i've never yep. we've never had one person regret his red shirt year and it's nope. yeah villanova it's, it's too a, i cover villanova yep. for a lot of years yep. you guys know and you know dante DiVincenzo was a red shirt and then he was the mop of the final four i think it worked out pretty yeah. well for him. he know, did all not, right yeah, it's not it's not out of the question, but it's you know it's interesting. Like I talked to um, Val Ackerman, the Big East commissioner, and, and they do. And I'm sure the Big Ten does the same. And they invite all the freshman basketball players in for like a seminar. She said it was the smallest freshman class they've ever had oh, wow. because there aren't any freshmen anymore. <laughs> yeah, wow, it's kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Well, and I've thought I've said too. What's stopping a team from? All right, we're full. We're we're out of scholarships, and we go to a kid and say, you know what, we love you, but. If you came here right now, we don't. One, we don't have a scholarship. Second, even if we did, you wouldn't play a whole lot. But why don't you do this? Why don't you go yep. down the road to school X? You're going to yep, start. Absolutely. You're going to play, and then we'll just call we'll you catch up you on the other side. Yeah, and that's yep. you. You know that's happening right now. And that's a hundred percent happening, and it's also happening that you know some kid right now after one game at you know whatever Coppin State had fifty points or whatever he didn't. But I'm just saying. Yeah. And someone's on the phone trying to. To, to pilch him. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. We're gonna kill mid majors, of course. We yeah. already are. So. Well, I'm Matt. Matt advocated for all this on these conference calls at the NCAA, mm-hmm. and he said he was arguing. He said with some mid major 
uh, ADs and administrators. He goes, I'm trying to help you guys. He goes, you guys are, are self-sabotaging here. He goes, I'm the one that should be trying to push this through. Right. He goes, how do you not see this? Yes. Uh, I, I, God bless Matt. He's usually the lone sane voice in the room of NCA Wonk. He's, oh, a, I think, he's a strong I, man for that one. I think people <laughs> think that his gray hairs come from the players. I'm like, no, no. It comes from his committee work. That's where the gray hairs 100%. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the one topic here that I think uh, most people react the same way that has just recently kind of come on the scene, this talk of tournament expansion. Yeah. I would love to get, yep. love to get your take on that. Uh, why mess with the only great thing we have in sports? I mean, honestly, uh -huh. like, you know, people look like, look, last this past week, everyone's been complaining about the start of college basketball season. Okay, you can argue that maybe they don't get the start, right? No sport gets the finish better than college basketball. Yep. None. It is yep. the best finish in all of athletics, period. It's inclusive. It's exciting. It generally siphons out to the way it's supposed to get. Everyone pays attention to it. It's open to everybody from, you know, one to three fifty eight. Yep. Why change it? And you want to dumb it down by look, this is this is and, and if I, if there was some admirable reason I might listen, this is all about greed. Like I nobody is going you know, yes. this is not like, well, we feel really badly that the student athletes aren't no 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 no. You wanna get more teams in because you wanna get more shares because you want your big old super conference to look better right. and you wanna squash all these other teams. If you're going to tell me we're going to add 80 teams, we're going to go to 80, and you know, in the year that Yale and Princeton are both really, really good, they're both getting in. I'm not going to be happy, but at least I'll listen. That's not what's going to happen. Right. We're just going to get 10 teams from the SEC as opposed to the eight that belong there. Yeah, um, that's exactly it, right. It, it's 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 horrible, and um, I'm terrified that it's going to happen because again, money talks, and the people that are are arguing for this are arguably some of the more powerful people in college athletics and you know i keep forgetting we don't even have an ncaa president right now oh. so that's problematic yep. Um, yep or isn't it maybe it's not um it's good and but, bad news yeah be right, careful, be careful but, what you wish for right but i i just i just i i don't i wasn't even thrilled when they went to 68 i'll be honest with you but i remember being in the room years ago and when Greg Shaheen stood up in front of us at the final four and tried to sell 96 or whatever. And people just like practically, it was like, it was like the pitchforks. Like we were, the media had the pitchforks attacking the poor guy. And now here we are. And it's people on the inside arguing. That's what scares me. I'm afraid it's going to happen. I don't, you know, and everyone's like, Oh, people will still watch it. We'll have a bigger first four weekend, no. I guess. But what are you watching? Just lousy basketball teams. Well, and it, it, again, it's it's the teams that are in the Big Ten and the SEC and the ACC who have more than ample opportunity to get their resumes in order to make it into the NCAA tournament field. It's not your my fault if you can't win in your league and you're like now ninth in the in the fifth sixteen team league and you're not getting in. How do you feel about like you know the guys over in the SoCon who are tied for second and they're both really good but they can't get the second team? In? Yeah, yeah, and and I heard a, a, a there was a commissioner talking about access and. Well, you know, they weren't, they didn't have access. Um, you know, they were left out. And I thought, no, they were left out because they had the 342nd, you know, strength of schedule. Like, yeah, if you want access, yeah, if you want access, schedule accordingly and pull your pants up and get to work. Like, it, it drives me crazy. It makes me, again, like, yeah, you, you, they don't have access. Well, like, again, the teams in the SOCON definitely don't have access. Right. Nobody's going to play them. If they're actually pretty good, nobody wants to play Wofford when they're really good. So they can't get the good games to get the access with the teams that are afraid to play them and lose. And then they go back into their league, and they're really good, and nobody cares. They don't have access. The SEC and ACC, all these, they have plenty of access. Yeah. But that's not what this is about. And it's I, about money. I feel really bad. So those small major leagues, I've often wondered, as a coach, it's got to be extremely frustrating because you could you could play twenty league games, which is a you know three and a half month grind, whatever it might be. You do really well. You win your league. You get beat in double overtime of the conference championship, and you don't go. And I guess my point would be, I wonder what that money is. I mean, it's all about the tele televising that championship game, and mm -hmm. what that means to the league. But I wonder, I, I would love to see the numbers on that. And if it, at the end of the day, is it worth it? Or if a league would say, you know what, we're going to find another way to make up that money and we're going to have a regular season champ that gets crowned and goes. I don't. 
Yeah, I would be curious to see that too because, and I, you know, and it happens a lot. I mean, yeah. <laughs> we do this goofy thing. A bunch of sports writers do this thing. We call it the Jerome, as in send it in Jerome. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you have to pick the, <laughs> the champion. You have to pick the conference tournament champion in every single league, and you get bonus points for picking, nice. you know, teams okay. that are lower seed. It's, it's fun. Yeah. But I can't tell you how often that you're like, wait, what? Who won? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who just right? won in the end? Right? Yep. And, and you're right. Like, is it, you know, you're you're punishing your regular season champion because obviously you're chasing the ESPN dollars on the conference tournament, which your league otherwise can't get. I get that, but you know it's it is it's probably not fair sometimes to these teams that, that bust their butt and deserve to get in. Um, but you know, every but now look, even the Ivy League has a postseason tournament, so we're that that horse has left the barn yeah. for sure. But I, gotta... I just think I just think like I said, expanding the tournament. It's not about it's not about student athletes. It's not about getting you know more teams an opportunity and a bite at the apple. It's about the big teams that already have all of the money getting more money. That's all it's about. So I got to ask you this uh, game that you guys do. Um, is there anybody that has year in year out proven to be very daunting in trying to defeat in this game? You mean like a like an, a reporter, like a yeah, winner? No, yeah. we're, we're all pretty we're all pretty generally lousy at it. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's it's just fun fodder. I, we, I have a side bet with with Pat Forty for a dinner every like between the two of us who can do the best, and it's it will literally get down to like I don't know like the SoCon Championship. I've yeah. got the four seed and he's got the two seed, and I'm looking for the bonus points. And nobody is rooting harder for like you know whoever. Winthrop than I am, you know, it's uh, just crazy. It's that, fun. Well, that it's no fun. wonder you guys like March so much. You got so much more <laughs> at stake than we ever, than we ever realized. <laughs> I just, I just outed my all of my brethren for our reality. No, that's <laughs> awesome. That is, that is really cool. I remember the year I worked at Duke. Um, Bill Brill would always come into the media room the night before the championship game, and he would do his unveiling of the field, and that was like a who's That's who awesome. of writers all sitting around yeah. and, and Bill just, he, Bill would walk in like he, like he was the emperor and presenting <laughs> and everybody was just so worthy to be in his presence to, to see what his field was going to look like. It that's was fantastic. Oh, it was awesome. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, all that stuff. Yeah. It's fun. But yeah, I, I just like leave, please leave, go away. Just, I've written most, I've written a lot of columns, like go back to your little football fiefdom and just get out. Like you just get out. You have nothing to do with college yeah. basketball. You you're clearly haven't shown any interest in caring about it up till now. Please don't suddenly discover that. Oh wait, wait, wait! We can make more money in basketball. Let's ruin that too. Let, you've already ruined lots of other things. Stay away. So if you <laughs> if you were named commissioner, um, <laughs> let's say there's a commissioner spot that we get to eventually, and let's say you you got uh, anointed commissioner, what would what would be the the first thing you would do? Like the czar of the college yeah, basketball. You yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. What would I do? I would again. I would protect the NCAA tournament. <laughs> at all costs um for sure i would probably find a way to dis- I, don't, I don't know what the metrics are or the analytics are but i would find a way to allow these teams that we're talking about that don't get a shot at it to get a shot at it i don't know how you do that you know fairly but i mm-hmm. feel like there's got to be a way to do that um i would make a strong suggestion to college basketball coaches that they open the season with the same bang that they finish it with and recognize that you know losing to a good team in November isn't going to kill you at the committee. So why don't you play something that actually captures people's attention, right? As opposed to starting out with, I mean, I'm looking through these scores, like where is that school? What is that yeah, school? What? No doubt. Let's get some good game, and, and not you know, eventually you have to play some. Some I get it. You you go back to the powder puffs, but like the first three days of the season need to be better. I think personally, yep. if yep. you want to capture people's attention. Um, you know, I would do that. Like I said, I would probably work with the NCA on, on, you know, allowing coaches just to have more access and all of that. I probably would want them all to get in the room together and just like scream at each other and hash out whatever's going on underneath <laughs> it. Like, just like, let's all get along here, you know? Yeah. yeah. I wrote a book about the Big East and the Big East's greatest strength was despite the fact that in public, all of these coaches wanted to kill one another privately, they all held, had each other's back. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that need, and I think that's better in, in basketball than it is in football, honestly. Yes, but, yes, you know, I would agree with that. Find a way to kind of do that. You know, I, I just feel like I also feel like the NABC. I've said this for years. Needs to, I don't know, needs to like put position papers out loud more loudly. Like they have good ideas and good thoughts, and right. 
they work together like but nobody knows about it like find a way to like yeah. well and do it in Get a way where you like don't be afraid to ruffle feathers like that's right you know put um yeah you're right the ideas are good so stand behind them stick your chest out a little bit and and yep. try to you know yeah throw your weight around present, present the united front that you know we are we are the people that you know are in deep with this sport and we all agree on x how can we make x happen yeah um because i think people would listen so yeah but that, 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 i mean there's a lot that there's a lot that the sport does right, I think, um, but there's a, a couple of things that need to be addressed. I, like I said, this week I'm just thinking about the start of the season just because it's been so meh. Um, well, you but just, I do think we need help there. You just made me think about the conference tournament championship. What if – and I just – it's funny. This is what's fascinating about these conversations is they spur ideas. What if you had um, some kind of a formula where if you were regular season champ and you were playing the sixth-place team in the championship game – you got to start with a 12-0 lead or something like of that nature. <laughs> like, that would be, you know, you, you create the formula ahead of time. You present it to there the coaches. Go. Like if I was a mid-major commissioner, I would be all over that. I would say, yeah. hey, look, you know, we're going to, you guys work your butts off and you try to, you, you win the league by yeah. four games. We're going to reward you for that. That'd be fantastic. That would be. That would be. Mm. Could you imagine that? People would lose their minds, but it would be so much. That fun. would be cool, though. That would be. It we would might be, be onto something. I, there you go. I mean, I, could uh, you imagine? You could. You go sell that to a single coach and get back to me. Yeah. <laughs> Dana, what? Uh, so, Dana, what about this idea that I've heard some college coaches talk about? John Calipari specifically, a summertime schedule. Uh, teams are already practicing in the summer right. anyway for a limited number of hours. Have a couple of weekends devoted in the summer. You could play games and uh, you know play say play for charity or whatever the money would go to charity. What about a what about a summertime schedule? So I think it's I, I get it. I think it's a great idea to get more attention to the sport because obviously from April to November it just disappears into the ether a little bit, and they are practicing. Um, so I understand like I'm not naive enough to think that guys aren't doing anything, but I do wonder about like wear and tear. Yes. Um, yes. And mm. you know the amount of the amount of practice that you get in the summer to just kind of get better and work on your fundamentals is one thing. The amount of practice you need to actually prepare for games is probably a little higher. So I worry yeah. about that, the wear and tear of it all. Um, you're also going to have, you know, rosters are in such flux in the summer between guys deciding if they're going to go pro or come back, who's transferring in, who's transferring out, you know, how, how, right. How much of a roster can you actually throw out there? Um, so I'm not I'm not against it just for attention purposes, but I just again I think before you just roll it out there, you really got to sit back and think hard about all the ramifications of, you know, what are we going to ask for this? Like how how many more hours of practice are we going to ask for these guys? You know, they do need like a mental break a little bit from it. I yes. think. Yeah. Um, you know, are you, are you now going to say okay, it's not it's you know the one thing I think summer is good for is you know fundamentals should still matter and it's the one time you can actually work on that stuff. Are you going to now have to replace that with breaking down film? Yeah. Because you know, yep. look, coaches aren't going to want to lose those games, even though they're for charity, even though they're ex exhibition. Yeah. They're not going to want to lose. So then what? And then you're going to be sitting there in July, and you know you guys are breaking down film on Ohio oh, State no, summer that, league team. It's an <laughs> awful <laughs> idea. I right? awful so, idea because coaches are wired like I. The guy they I work, not. yeah. The guy I work for is an outlier. Like he heard about it, and was like, no, like because yeah. most coaches are going to say, well, we can't play a game without forty days of practice. I mean, we just exactly. can't do it. And so then it's just going to be, what are we doing? And then it's basically you're asking players to be around three hundred and sixty-five days a year and play full time, full court basketball. The whole I, I, that's my thought. Like I like the idea of something maybe, but I don't know if that's it. I just feel like I just feel like it's just going to morph into a lot more demands than we recognize. Yeah. Um, and then when are you going to get to the shore? You know? <laughs> well, yeah, please. I mean, honestly, <laughs> let's get back to the real part. I'm not covering summer league basketball. Right. <laughs> I don't cross that bridge. <laughs> like, no. Uh, Hard enough to go to, like, Peach Jam. <laughs> no. Okay, Dana, we, we end every uh, uh, of these episodes with the final four questions. These are uh, quick hitters off the beaten path topics okay so we'll we'll branch out a little bit here with Dino and Neil our guest uh the final four first question here is what is your go-to music of choice <laughs> well I'm from New Jersey so it's Bruce Springsteen so I, <laughs> I, you know I was thinking My about this this morning I was driving into work and I thought I was kind of thinking of some things I was going to ask you and I started thinking about that and I thought well 
this is going to be i already know the answer to this one this yeah, i knew you're going to go there my my dog's my other dog's name is Janie, and it's because my favorite Bruce Springsteen song is "Spirit in the Night," which begins "Crazy Janie and Her Mission Man." So, her my dog's actual register. She's a golden retriever. Her register name is Crazy Janie. So, that's, <laughs> and unfortunately, she's living up to her name. That's my fault. <laughs> but you know, that's very cool, and and I'm, we're glad it's that, and not Janie's got a gun by Aerosmith. So we're <laughs> it could go a lot of ways. Absolutely, <laughs> depends on the day. <laughs> Okay, uh, and have, so how many times have you seen Bruce in concert? Oh gosh, I don't even. I, I honestly don't think I've ever kept count um, a lot. I mean, so I'm. <laughs> this is how you know I'm old enough that back in high school we used to do typing tests, right? You had a typewriter and you took tests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you oh, got yeah. three, if you got three errors, like you had to like you were done. You had to quit the test, right? <laughs> so when I would hit three errors, I would just start typing Bruce Springsteen lyrics, oh, and that was like cool. back in the '80s. So that's back when I first started, you know, to go. So a, a lot is my answer, I guess. That's awesome. I uh, I've. I like Bruce a lot. Um, I'm a t- big Tom Petty guy. I saw yeah. him probably over 50 times in in, uh, oh, wow. in his run. So I think those fair. two are the two titans of American music, in my opinion. I, I would not argue that one. Okay, second question uh, here on the Final Four is, what is the best book you've ever read or a good book you've recently read? The best book, my, my favorite book of all time that I always read, like I must read it every year, is Catcher in the Rye. I don't know why. I just love that really? book. Really? Okay. <laughs> yes. It was one of those books I got assigned when I was um, actually, I had a high school English teacher um, who I think made me a good writer without realizing that I was going to be a good writer. He used to challenge me to do different different t- papers. Like he made me compare Holden Caulfield to Alice in Wonderland. I'll never forget that paper. Mm. Um, and that just kind of got me turned on to, um, to uh, Catcher in the Rye. Another recent book, gosh, I just think I never. I'm horrible. I'm on a Kindle, so I never remember the names of the book. I just read a really kind of disturbing book by. It was a novel by Celeste Ang, and it was basically about this sort of dystopian world where like Asian Americans are attacked because they're Asian, and it was really awful and good at the same time. It seemed like real. Yeah. yeah, So that was a good one. I'm I'm kind of debating. Like I just I love to read. biographies i'm thinking about diet you know downloading the matthew perry i'm just curious yeah you know yeah. what the hell go read that one see what it's about um let's see i read uh, my friend mike sielski wrote a book called the rise about kobe bryant and his early philly years that was very good so i will plug oh, yeah. mike sielski that was good so i love to read but i just read pretty much anything you put in front of me is there a, a method to your madness of like which book is next no, there's not. I mean, honestly, sometimes it's just I have to I, I'm one of those people before I go to bed every night, I have to read something, yeah. whether it's a magazine or a book. I can't not I just have to read something. So if I've finished a book, then I just go on. I sometimes just start searching around what's what, like kind of looks appealing to me. So, no, I'm not. I'll go. I'll jump from historical fiction to biography to crime i'm all over the place yeah i've got some ocd and so i have to i have like if i read a sports book then i have to go something different so i may okay. go, you know and then i'll just uh, i may go a non-sports biography and then i have to go fiction and i don't know it's weird yeah i i well i will say like sometimes you read too many of the same and i'm like okay i can't read another book like that like yeah I have like I, six of those now i, I think need a break yeah i think it's my way of forcing myself to get do something, read something that I wouldn't necessarily yeah. go to all And I'm still, I'm still a Luddite. I still get the New York Times in the driveway every day. So every day I read the New York Times, like paper, like the whole paper. Like, so I, that's my other, I read that New York, like that's probably my favorite thing to read every day is a newspaper. You and, to, you and Tony Soprano, they're outside of Jersey. Just go and get your paper. <laughs> We're very similar. Yes. Uh, okay. Third question here on the final four. If you could wave a wand and do any profession in the world starting tomorrow, oh, what would it be? And you'd be decent at it. You'd be, you know, it's not like you. Oh, would... I have to be good at it. No, 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 I... no, no, no. Would you the would, wand you make would. Be good at it. Yes, okay, exactly. Good. The wand. Would... Okay. I was gonna say because, jeez, uh, <laughs> I don't even know. Um, oh boy, I have to think about it. Um, I would love. Okay, I have to think about this a little bit. Like, okay, there's like, like I would love to be able to sing, but I can't. But that's not really anything I would sustain because I don't want to be like, I don't want to be on stage with people like, yelling at me and all that kind of crazy stuff. Um, let's you... think. <laughs> I would love to. So, 
I guess because it's, it's kind of not that unrelated to what I do now. I would love to be like good enough to be like a celebrity interviewer. I don't want to be Howard Stern. <laughs> I don't mean to say that, okay. but he's a really good interviewer. I would love to be like a person who is a, you know, can get and can, can get an interview with anybody. I guess the old school Barbara Walters, if you would. Okay. It's not that different from what mm-hmm. I'm currently doing, but like someone famous enough that I could get anybody and sit down and interview them on camera or what have you. That would be one that would be interesting. And honestly, like, I don't know, like, can I go surf for a living and make a lot sure. of money and travel Why not? the world? That Absolutely. Would be fine too. That would be really cool. My son's a big surfer, so he turned me on to John That's John cool. Florence, who apparently just rolls around, lives in Hawaii and rolls around the world surfing and goes really cool places. So that sounds kind of lovely. <laughs> We've never had a surfing answer. The most common answer to that is a professional golfer. Um, that's probably uh, I don't have the patience for that. I know I would yeah. think of that. I, I am not. My father's a really good golfer. I've always wanted to play because it's great for the career, but I I don't have the patience for that. Um, nope. You you mentioned uh, being able to interview people. I am obsessed with the Dick the, uh, Dick Cavett show. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. And Same. right. Oh my gosh. And and it's very uh, it's dangerous to pull up YouTube and then all of a sudden like. <laughs> Two hours later, you're like, all right, I really have to go to bed because I've watched, you know, all these interviews. Yeah. But to me, that is that was just absolutely fascinating. And he was he had such a gift. Um, yeah. I think there's a market for a modern day Dick Cavett show. I agree. I agree. I think I, I do, too. I think that that would be fantastic. So maybe that's kind of what I need to probably try to do. Like, that's what I, I think about, like being able to do really good, interesting interviews with anybody in the world would be yeah. fantastic. And not fun. plugging a movie, like, no, you know, no. actually getting uh-huh. into what they think and what makes them tick yep. and that kind of stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Man, we've accomplished share. a lot here today. We're, we're going to change postseason change play world. in mid majors <laughs> and we're going to start at the uh, modern day Dick Cavett show. This is fantastic. fantastic. Yes. Okay. Last, <laughs> last question here on the final four. And uh, what is something that no one or very few people know about you? Oh a little little known fact <laughs> oh boy um well i mean i mean some people know about me but oh gosh um i have two like weird little live well, three okay there's three things i guess are a little weird <laughs> one's my pet peeve my friend shannon ryan who i work with who used to work at the chicago tribune knows this one um because she used to make fun of me i can't stand when read people read things ahead of me so like when i get a magazine and someone reads it out loud to me it drives me crazy mm. so like I, that's my thing like i have to hoard my newspapers that's mm. my little pet peeve okay um my claim to fame i suppose athletically as i was an all-state field hockey player does that count Oh, very um, good, very good. And nice. I think a lot of people probably have figured this out, but I um, have a probably unhealthy addiction to Snoopy. <laughs> really? I don't, did I? No, I did know that. I have, I did know that from uh, just following you on Twitter. And yes. yeah, so where did that start? Or when did childhood. it start? Childhood. I, okay. Childhood. I mean, I had, so I, it's funny, my office, I'm looking around my office as I sit here and it's it's frightening. There's a lot of Snoopy stuff in here. Um, when I was little, someone gave me like a stuffed Snoopy and I took him everywhere and he was my thing. And I remember going to nursery school and dropping him in like in a mud puddle and <sighs> losing my mind as oh. only a you know, four-year-old can. And my grandmother was so distraught, she took him to the dry cleaner. Wow. To try to get him clean and he's still gray and he's still sitting in my office. So, um, yeah, I just, I mean, my, my daughter one year went around our house and started Chris, counting Christmas decorations that were Snoopy or peanut themed. And she was like, you do realize you have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> you, I did, you know where I, I'm, I'm just recalling why I, when I, that I did know that because um, you, you're always campaigning or not campaigning. You're always uh, pointing out when the, um, Great Pumpkin comes on, right? 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. All of them. Absolutely. My One of my daughter's best friends from high school had never seen um, Charlie Brown Christmas. I was like, what, what, were you raised in a cave? I was like, what the hell? What <laughs> yeah, is wrong with yeah. this child? So I'm like, okay, you you can't come in my house anymore now. Sit down. You must watch this. Like, you're not welcome anymore. Yeah. No, it's, yeah it's, it's a part of, like, life as far as I'm concerned. Oh, that's very cool. <laughs> very cool stuff. Okay. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking time. I know we've uh, – it, it's – it's the start of your busy season, and we appreciate you carving out some time here with us. Um, fascinating stuff, and uh, just uh, appreciate um, all you do for college athletics, too, because um, or for programs like ours, because you tell a lot of great stories that uh, I think otherwise would fall through the crack, cracks. So uh, just uh, thanks for taking time here, and uh, we'll probably see you at some point down the road this year. 
Without question, thank you guys for having me, and I look forward to our brilliant ideas being put into practice yes. within a week. We got to make that happen. Okay, Elam ending. We'll, we'll blow the Elam ending out of the water. We'll just go with our new format for postseason play. I love it. All right, that was episode eighty-nine here on the podcast. We want to thank all of our listeners for joining, and until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well. Good night, everyone.